Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We've been uh, preaching through the book of Genesis. We're coming to Genesis chapter 46 and 47. We only have one more sermon left in Genesis after this. So we're almost done. We've almost preached the whole book of Genesis. Pretty awesome. It's been great. And uh, so looking at chapters 46 and 47 this morning, and just to recap the story, so you remember where we are, uh, how God uh, called Abraham uh, to uh, go Go to the land that I will show you. And to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac was born Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, so uh, Jacob's 12 sons, one of them was Joseph. And uh, his brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. Joseph goes off to Egypt, uh, is in prison, but God raises him up to uh, the right hand of Pharaoh. He becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And uh, God reveals to him that uh, there's going to be uh, famine. And so he prepares uh, and, and stores up food to save the Egyptians uh, and the world from famine. And, uh, and so because of that famine, his brothers come to Egypt looking for food, not knowing that he's alive, thinking that uh, he might even be dead. They come and they end up standing before him uh, asking for help. And uh, they, it is revealed to them that uh, it's, his, it's their brother. They reunite uh, and Joseph forgives them. And now uh, Joseph wants to bring his brothers and bring his father to Egypt. Uh, and that's where we pick up the story. So um, if you're willing and able, would you stand I'm going to read God's word for us from Genesis 46 and 47. It'll be on the screens for you to follow along and skip a couple places to condense it here. This is God's word for you this morning. So Israel, that is Jacob, took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. 
Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And from among his brothers, Joseph took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to him, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days in the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob The years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. He said, swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Would you uh, this morning use it to challenge us, convict us, change us? um, In whatever way you need to work, would you work for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated, please. On August 24th, 410 AD, something happened that shocked the world. The Visigoths um, conquered the great city of Rome. They sacked the city. Over three days, they plundered and destroyed and turned what had been known as the Eternal City into a smoking ruin. People were left reeling, wondering how could this have ever happened? How could Rome, 
the great Roman Empire have fallen. And in response, Augustine of Hippo, who was a bishop in northern Africa, wrote a book called The City of God. And in that book, Augustine argues that uh, uh, man's cities, empires of this world uh, will rise and fall, but the city of God, the kingdom of God, never falls. Um, Augustine was simply uh, repeating what the Apostle Paul had taught. Augustine said that a Christian's primary allegiance is never to any city or man, but always to the city of God. Paul said in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the city of God. My mother was born in Dallas, and because of that, she was by birth an American citizen, but she grew up most of her childhood in Nicaragua, in Central America. And so uh, my grandparents, um, her parents, owned a cattle ranch. And, uh, and so as the years went on and as they uh, got older and it was apparent that they were going to pass away, she was the heir and would inherit this land. And so she uh, went down there and she applied for citizenship in Nicaragua. And so now she is a dual citizen, right? She holds citizenship in both Nicaragua and in the United States. Um, Here's the thing. You can do that with earthly countries and with earthly passports, but you cannot do that with your spiritual passport. You cannot do that with the city of God. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is what I believe Genesis 46 and 47 teaches us that if you are a follower of the one true God, that your status in this life, your relationship to the world is that of a sojourner. You are a sojourner. You don't hold dual citizenship. You have one citizenship, right? Pull out your spiritual passport. You open it up. What's stamped on the inside? Citizen of heaven, right? You're a citizen of heaven. And until we get to heaven, Our relationship to the world, our existence in this life is that of a sojourner. We are sojourners. What is a sojourner? A sojourner is a stranger, right? A sojourner is an exile. Uh, A sojourner is an alien, not like E.T. alien, although some of you are a little strange like that, Um, but an immigrant, right? Uh, A refugee, Do you think of yourself that way? Do you think of yourself as a sojourner? Um, What, uh, so so here's the question I want to pose and answer from God's word. What does it mean to be a sojourner? What would it look like to live as a spiritual refugee? The truth, that truth, that we're sojourners is all throughout the Old Testament and it's all throughout the New Testament and it has incredible implications for your life today and every day. Um, you, know, you want to know something really crazy? We were on uh, fall break. So this was last fall. And we had a, a long weekend. And so we decided, let's go do something fun. We, we took the kids to this um, uh, hotel kind of, you know, resort type thing. And uh, so 
Uh, it was over the weekend, and we, we said, hey, we're going to go to church. And this was in an area that we didn't know and were unfamiliar with. And so I went online and found a church that looked like it could be good. And we went to this church, and uh, sitting there, and uh, the guy uh, preached a sermon on the most random passage of Scripture that I expected to hear walking in the church that morning. Genesis 46 and 47, <laughs> right? The very same passage that I just read to you. And he preached a sermon on it, and it was awesome. And I had no idea at that time that I would be preaching a sermon on that passage to you this morning. God wanted me to hear that sermon. God wants you to hear this sermon. Um, you know, as those who live on this side of the cross, we, when we read the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, we read it through the lens of the New Testament. Right? The New Testament illumines for us the Old Testament. And uh, the author of the New Testament letter to the Hebrew gives us the key to understand what we just read in Genesis 46 and 47. It's in the reflection section of your bulletin. And it's also going to be on the screen here. The author of Hebrews says, these all, referring to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Strangers and exiles, right? Sojourners. That's who Jacob was. That's who the people who the author of Hebrews was writing to. That's who they were. And that's who you are, a sojourner. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, take your uh, outlines on the inside cover of your bulletin. If you want to follow along. First, sojourners are called not to, to uh, sojourners are called to be not of the world. Sojourners are called to be not of the world. I get that phrase from Jesus. He prayed in John uh, 17 about his uh, disciples. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When Joseph uh, brings his family into Egypt, he does something that uh, looks a little strange. He says, um, okay, when Pharaoh asks you what your occupation is, uh, you tell him we're shepherds because Egyptians hate shepherds. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you tell him you're shepherds, that that's what you do because Egyptians hate shepherds. Uh... Does anybody else have a better idea than that? Um, why would he do that? Why would he tell them to, um, to say that? Well, Joseph is actually being incredibly thoughtful and strategic because Joseph's goal was to get his family where? Into Goshen, into the uh, northern fertile crescent area of Egypt. Yes, it would support all their flocks and their herds, but more importantly... If they were in Goshen, then it meant they weren't where? In the capital of Egypt, right? 
in the heart, in the center of society, Egyptian society and culture and religion. Because Joseph wants to make sure that his family is in Egypt, but not of Egypt. You see, the problem is not when the boat is in the water, the problem is when the water is in the boat. Um, Joseph doesn't want his family to assimilate with the Egyptians, to lose their identity as followers of Yahweh. It's not something that would have happened immediately, right? It would have been slow. It would have been a process. Uh, But over time, had they not remembered that they were sojourners, had they not remembered that Egypt was not their home, then slowly they would have been absorbed into Egypt, Albert Camus wrote a novel called The Stranger, and in that, he, his main character, Mersault, um, is uh, convicted of murder and sent to prison. And uh, there's this description that Mersault gives of what it's like to be a prisoner in prison. And this is what he says. He says, when I was first imprisoned, the hardest thing was that my thoughts were still those of a free man. For example, I would suddenly have the urge to be on a beach and to walk down to the water. As I imagined the sound of the first waves under my feet, my body entering the water and the sense of relief it would give me, all of a sudden I would feel just how closed in I was by the walls of my cell. But, but that feeling only lasted a few months. Afterwards, my only thoughts were those of a prisoner. Mersault, his only thoughts became those of a prisoner because slowly over time, he became absorbed into the prison. He knew nothing else, right? Um, Do you understand what I'm getting at? This has been the challenge for God's people in all ages and places, and it's no different in ours. Like Joseph, you have got to be thoughtful and strategic about how you are going to keep your family, yourself and your family, from being absorbed into the ways of a world that does not know or love Jesus. Um, and how, when it happens, it's way more subtle than we think. Theologian uh, James K.A. Smith writes, he says, we can be absorbed by everydayness. We give ourselves over to those producers of bustling activity who are more than happy to take the burden of selfhood off our hands. We let ourselves be taken over by the distractions and entertainments and chatter of the world. It gives the illusion of a homey comfort. You belong here is the lie told to us by everyone from Disney to Vegas. We try to cover up not knowing who we are by letting everyone sell us an identity or at least a distraction from needing one. Have you let the distractions and entertainments and chatter of the world slowly absorb you? I, I, I just happened, I talked with two people this last week about uh, their kid playing um, sports, playing a sports game on Sunday. And, and, and these are believers, they were wrestling with, should we allow our kids to to play uh, sports on Sundays and, and how does that affect things? And we, what we talked about, we, we kind of tried to get away from, you know, the, the thing itself to what does it mean for keeping the Sabbath, right? God says one day out of seven is to be holy, set apart for me and where you, where you worship with other believers and, and focus on me. And so 
Um, will doing that keep you from doing that? Will, will, will um, pl- your kid playing um, keep you and him and your family from honoring the Sabbath? You see, I tell you, the world does not care about what you do on Sunday. They're not asking that question, but you have to. You have to ask those questions or else you will slowly be absorbed. You have to ask the questions about um, materialism, right? The world says the more stuff you have, the happier you'll be. If you could just get a new car, if you could just get a new boat, if you could just get a new phone, if you could just get new clothes, if you could just go on a great trip, right? If you could just fill in the blank, then you will be happy. And if you don't fight against that, if you don't have a strategy against that, then you will slowly be absorbed into it. Same thing is true with politics, right? The, the, the world says that um, our future hinges on who is in the Oval Office, right? Our future, our future hinges on our politicians, and we get so absorbed into it um, that our primary identity becomes whoever we support. And so much so that even among other believers, we, we start to to not have fellowship with people who think differently from us. Right? Slowly we become absorbed into the ways of the world. Same thing with sexuality, right? Um, and, and what the world says, you know, what defines being a man or being a woman? Uh, what, what defines sexual ethics? Uh, how, should I, um, uh, how should I treat my body? Um, and, uh, and, and how should I engage uh, in sex. Um, and slowly, right, if you don't have a strategy for that, then slowly you begin to, to say things like, well, does God really care who I sleep with? Does it really matter if we're married or not? Right, slowly you get absorbed into um, the world. I remember a song from a group called Cademan's Call. Uh, when I was growing up, they had this chorus, this world has nothing for me and this world has everything. All that I could want and nothing that I need. You see, everyone is trying to sell you an identity, but the truth is you, if you belong to Jesus, you already have an identity. And part of that identity is that you are a sojourner. You are a stranger in an exile. You are not of this world, just as he was not of the world. Egyptians hated shepherds, and the world will always hate followers of Jesus. Never we pray because we're uh, being jerks or because um, we think that we're better, but because being a sojourner means we are not of the world, so we can never be defined by the world's values. That's what John meant when he wrote, Beloved, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Sojourners are not of the world, but having said that, we have to equally say that God keeps us in the world to bless the world. We are not of the world, but God keeps us in the world to bless the world. You know, Jesus, when he was praying, didn't stop at saying that they are not of the world, he went on. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth, in your word, as 
you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Sojourning doesn't mean that we live as nuns and monks, cloistered away from the world, holding the world at arm's length. Um, No, God puts us in the world to bless the world. That was the nation of Israel's story, right? That that God called them, he chose them, He, he set them apart so that they would be a blessing, that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we see that happening in this passage. Jacob was an old and frail man. It says that uh, coming to Egypt, they had to carry him uh, in the wagons with the women and children. And, uh, and then did you notice in, in verse 7 of chapter 47, it says, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. Right? Jacob didn't walk into Pharaoh on his own. Joseph had to like carry him and he like wheeled him in in a little mini chariot, right? And, uh, and then it says he stood him up before Pharaoh, like he grabbed the back of his belt and stood him up. Like some of you know what I'm talking about because you've done this with your parents, right? You've done this with a spouse. And so um, here is this aged shepherd standing with help before Pharaoh, the most powerful, regal God of Egypt, And then the most upside down thing happens. This old Jacob lifts up his arms and Jacob blesses Pharaoh, right? The lesser blesses the greater. Jacob blesses upward. It's not normally the way it goes. Twice it says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. When, when Pharaoh asked Jacob how old he is, notice how he, what he says there. He says, the days and years of my sojourning, right? And, the, and the, my fathers in the days of their sojourning, or the NIV says pilgrimage. You see, Jacob, as a sojourner, as a, as a pilgrim, Jacob knew he had a job. His job was to be a conduit of blessing to anyone around him even an Egyptian pharaoh. And, and don't miss something really important here. Re- remember Jacob's life, if you remember, Jacob was a schemer, right? Jacob was strong. Jacob was a, a smart guy and, a, and, and, a, you know, and, and kind of an entrepreneur and a mover and a shaker and self-sufficient and self-reliant. And what did all of that get him? Pain and heartache. He says there, few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And now here's Jacob, dependent, weak, and now finally in a position to bless. As followers of the Lord, we are in the world to bless the world, and we do not do that through our strength. We do it through our weakness. We bless the world through our weakness. Um, I love what a pastor named James Montgomery Boyce said. He said, we tend to be dazzled by the world, particularly its wealth. In the presence of those the world thinks important, we stand mute. We need to learn, as Jacob learned, that we as Christians have more to offer the world than the world for all its wealth and importance has to offer us. 
What do we have to offer? We have the treasure of the gospel. We have knowledge of the true God, which is salvation. We are the fragrance of life to those who respond to our testimony. No greater wealth exists. There is no greater good to be done for anyone than to offer him or her the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, in whom alone sinners can escape the wrath of God to come. If you are a spiritual descendant of Jacob, then you are not of the world, but God has put you in the world to bless the world. Let me give a word to those of you who have recently moved here, because there are a lot of you. Um, People are moving to Citrus County. I don't know if you've noticed, right? But people are moving here, and people are coming to this church. And so if that's you, you've moved here recently. Maybe you're a young family. You're coming here um, for a job, putting your kids in the school. Maybe you're a retired couple, and you've retired to Florida, and you've retired to Citrus County. I want to tell you that God has not brought you here to live a life of self-indulgence. God has not brought you here um, to focus on yourself. God has brought you here to bless. He's brought you here to bless those around you, to use you as a conduit of blessing. Um, And you know what? Maybe your life before this was a mess like Jacob's. Maybe you've passed down that mess to your children, but God is not done with you. He wants to use you. He's brought you here. Um, And this is life. This is life to be used as a blessing to others, not through your strength, but through your weakness, not through your awesomeness, but through your dependence. Sojourning means you're not of the world, but you are in the world to bless the world. And what allows a sojourner to be able to do that? Well, they have to have third and eternal perspective. You have to have as a sojourner an eternal perspective. Sojourners know that this world is not their home. A sojourner is a migrant, a traveler, someone who's passing through. Your stay is temporary. It's like one of those service plazas on the toll road, right? The one that's like right in the middle of the road. Um, You can pull off there. You can rest. You can refuel. You can get something to eat. You can go to the bathroom. If you're my kids, you can grab like 50 of those tourist brochures that are free there, right? Um, But then you get back in your car and you keep going. You don't try to make the service plaza your home because you're a sojourner. When, when Jacob was dying, he made Joseph swear to him that he would not bury uh, his remains in Egypt, right? That he would carry him back to the promised land. And that made a profound impact on Joseph because later, at the end of Genesis, Joseph is going to make his family swear the same thing. Don't leave me here in Egypt. Carry my bones back to the promised land. Why was that so important to them? Well, look, look, look again at those verses from Hebrews that's in your bulletin. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, eternal perspective, right? They saw it and they greeted it, even though they hadn't seen it from afar. Why? Because they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, sojourners, For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland, 
They desire a better country, a heavenly one. Jacob, Joseph, they were seeking a homeland, homeland, um, hometown, right? I want you to picture in your mind your hometown. It would be amazing to, to think of all the hometowns represented here, right? But picture in your mind your hometown. Okay, you got it? All right, now I want you to, to really think hard about this quote. Your hometown is the place you're made for, not simply the place you've come from. Your hometown is the place you're made for, not simply the place you've come from. Your hometown, where joy is found, is a place you arrive and immediately feel at home in even though you've never been there before. This is not the mere joy of return. It is the joy of the refuge who has found a home. We are sojourners navigating our not-at-homeness and our built-in hunger for a home. I am an alien here even though here is the only place I've ever lived. So much of our restlessness and disappointment is the result of trying to convince ourselves that we're already home. The alternative is not escapism. It is a refugee spirituality, unsettled yet hopeful. We are migrants, strangers, resident aliens en route to a homeland we've never been to. God is the country we are looking for, that place where the true end to our migration is found. We are sojourners. And I was, you know, that means that the church is less like this building and more like a refugee camp. Right? We are a spiritual tent city. Conversion doesn't mean setting out on a journey to heaven alone. It means joining a caravan of migrants who are headed together to a homeland they've never been to. We have an eternal perspective. As Paul says in Colossians 3, we set our minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. There was this saying um, many years ago that people would say, like kind of in disparaging Christians, you're so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? You're so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. And I get what they're saying, right? But I would kind of come back and say, uh, actually, only those who are heavenly-minded are of any earthly good. Only those who are heavenly-minded are of any earthly Good. That's what Professor Todd Whitmer from Notre Dame discovered when the war in Uganda had been going on for over 20 years. He moved into the refugee camps in northern Uganda to hear the stories of the displaced Akoli people. And, and he said, I, I saw what real Christians look like. Because he saw there uh, that the most practical, helpful workers were the Christians, and they were also the most heavenly-minded in this article, it says, these heavenly-minded Christians believed that no human effort could be relied upon to help the Akoli. It had to come from God. As one of the Christian workers in the camp said, God is tired of this war and suffering, and he will intervene. Because they believed that God would intervene, they also believed that it was worthwhile to work for good. 
In the United States, people who talk about God's future intervention are often accused of being escapists, impractical, or even mentally unstable. But in the refugee camps of northern Uganda, they were the most rational people. Whitmer discovered that they were the ones who kept saying things like, we want to make a difference here and now. We want to help with the orphans. Because they had an eternal perspective. If you got Adam Jones email this week, you know that we're getting ready to set out as a church on a a two-year vision initiative, that we're asking the question, who does God want us to be as a church, and what does he want us to be in this community for the next two years? What does he want us to do? What's the vision? And part of that is talking about what is it going to take to fund that vision, that vision for the next two years. And so I've been having, as I've been starting to have conversations with people in the church about that, about funding that vision, I have been absolutely blown away. Been blown away by how so many of you have an eternal perspective. Um, You deeply believe the words of Jesus when he said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Only those who have an eternal perspective um, know how to make the best investments in this life. Remember, uh, Genesis was written by Moses, and it was written to the people who were getting ready to enter the promised land. They were getting ready to inherit the very thing that God had promised them, this land flowing with milk and honey, And yet, this passage is reminding them that when you get into the promised land, for them, that land, you're still not home. That's not the end of the story, right? It's wonderful, but it's not the end of the story. David himself in the Psalms multiple times calls himself a sojourner, even though he's in the promised land. Why? Because that physical plot of land called Israel was only a pointer, a foretaste of the homeland, right? Of the new heavens and the new earth when God would one day renew all things. Being a sojourner means you're not of the world, but you are in the world to bless the world, and you do that through having an eternal perspective. And so the last question I want to ask is, is how do we see the gospel in this passage, right? How is this sermon more than just three things that you need to do better at, right? Kind of three religious to-dos. And the answer is this. In your sojourning, you will never truly want to, nor will you have the real power to do these things until you see that Jesus is your ultimate sojourner. You'll never have the want to, the desire, or the power to live this way until you see that Jesus is your ultimate sojourner. There's an ad campaign that's been going on uh, it's, it's, it's been on TV, it's been online. Um, it's going to be shown during the Super Bowl. And uh, people have spent $20 million to show these ads uh, during the Super Bowl. And I want to show you uh, one of them now. There was a mother and a father who had a son. They lived in a small village and didn't have much money. But they were happy. One day, they heard the head of their country was sending soldiers to their town because he thought they were part of an insurrection. The 
young family decided to flee. They grabbed only what they could carry and ran. They hiked for days, wondering if soldiers might still be following them. They were scared, hungry, and exhausted. But they were far away from the atrocities taking place in Bethlehem. That's all Mary and Joseph wanted, a safe place to call home. Jesus was a refugee. He was a sojourner. As a child, as that video shows, right, he had to flee to Egypt for his life. Um, after he began his ministry, he went back to his hometown where he grew up, Nazareth, and they received him by trying to throw him off a cliff. Um, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have um, you know, nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was a refugee. He was not of this world, but he came into the world to bless the world. And he had the perfect eternal perspective. As the ad said, he gets us. But not only does he get us, he gets us there. He gets us to our true homeland, to the heavenly country. Before Jacob left for Egypt, he stopped at Beersheba, which was on the southern border of Canaan. And he stopped there and he offered sacrifices to God and God revealed himself to him. God said to him, don't be afraid. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And then this really precious, um, intimate promise and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Jacob was able to go to Egypt as a sojourner because he knew God would be with him and he knew Joseph would be there in his death to close his eyes. And and at the end of those verses in Hebrews that we read, it says, God is not ashamed to to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. And doesn't that remind you of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is our true and better Joseph. He has prepared a place for us, and when the time comes, he is the one who comes to close our eyes and take us home. Joseph provided everything for his family. He made sure that they were taken care of, that they had what they needed to sojourn in Egypt. But Joseph died eventually, and his family over time would become slaves in Egypt, and they would need rescue that only God would provide, could provide. Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. He provides for us not just physically but spiritually. He rescues us and redeems us from sin and Satan, and he brings us into the true promised land the home that we have uh, never been to but have always longed for. One day your sojourning will be over. Until then, let us follow Jesus, the ultimate sojourner. Let us draw on his love and grace for strength to be not of the world, but in the world, to bless the world with an eternal perspective. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you that you get us. Thank you that you also get us there. You are the ultimate sojourner. And so we depend on you as we follow you, as we sojourn through this life with you. And we can't wait until the day when you bring us home. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.